Hey, welcome to the Art Condition Podcast, a weekly show that will discuss the business, community, and often undiscussed stress and mental health concerns of being a professional artist or even a serious hobbyist. I'm Joby. I've been in the tattoo and illustration professions for 25 years. My co-host is Moose, a data analyst, social media manager, and art agent. If you enjoy the content, please consider visiting the Patreon page and the show notes to help support the effort. Or if that's not an option, please like, subscribe, leave a good review, or just share with your friends. And definitely go visit the links of our guests on this episode. Thanks for listening and have a great day. This week, we are talking to Trisha Hall. Trisha is a case study in ambition and energy and what we can accomplish in a very short amount of time when we are dedicated, persistent, and willing to move quickly between a variety of business experiments. Trisha's approach of, quote, throw it all against the wall and see what sticks has proven to be very useful and a rewarding method for distilling the best among a large group of options. We talked to Trisha at length about her approach to business, her art, and how the two go together. We also talk about some of the social media niches that Trisha has experimented with, what the outcomes have been, and what the lessons are that we can take away from her wins and her losses. Trisha's energy is infectious, and I promise you will walk away with a lot of new ideas to inspire your own business and marketing. Or at the very least, you will just enjoy hearing Trisha talk with passion and enthusiasm about what she loves. Let's listen. And the record button is going. All right. Everybody's here. Everybody's ready. Present. <laughs> Present and accounted for. Trisha, thank you so much for being with us. Um, this is thank exciting. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Been um, a admirer of yours i was gonna say a fan but that always feels so awkward i've been a big fan of yours <laughs> <laughs> i've been an, an admirer of yours for a long time not just because of the art um but the energy and enthusiasm you have i feel like if i watch your tiktok videos and your twitch streams then maybe some of that will like seep in through osmosis oh, well thank you can learn this <laughs> so that's what we're hoping is that like maybe you'll be able to illuminate the rest of us on uh, how to be uh, so good at this <laughs> when so many people seem well, to be funny go ahead <laughs> oh it's just funny when i first joined twitch i i was connected with a couple different artists and so many of them were like oh joby door you need to connect with joby door you need to watch his streams he's a pillar of the art community and so I always looked up to you in that respect. It's wild. It's funny how our perceptions of people um, on the internet are shaped by that. <laughs> yeah, because nobody should look up to Joby Dore. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. I don't even. I don't even want to know who said that because I'll be tempted to, like, hey, hey. You just, you it was stop, more than one person. More stop than spreading one. lies. <laughs> well, let's start by getting a little bit of background on you. Where did you come from? Sure. How did you get here? How did you get stung by the mad, rabid art bug? I'll be honest, when you first started that, I thought you were just going to start singing Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> Where do you come from? Where do you go? I wish I was that good. <laughs> um, but in seriousness, um, I was raised in a pretty artsy house. 
Um, so I just kind of have, have a bit of a background in, um, understanding what being your own business owner kind of looks like because my parents uh, make musical instruments out of glass for a living so that was definitely like an interesting role model um to see they both work from home um so that definitely got me started they would both uh, anytime there were any kind of creative endeavors, my dad always used to say that, you know, he would just throw everything at the wall and whatever sticks great um, as far as hobbies. And like, so he'd buy me sketchbooks. He bought me a, a violin when I was mildly interested in playing violin, a saxophone when I thought maybe I wanted to do that. I ended up playing um, silver flute in band, but uh, I eventually went to um, to university. I intended to be uh, a music ed, in, to go into the music ed program. Um, I was teaching piano for a few years and I, I stopped doing that so I could go into higher education. Um, I met my partner there. I ended up painting him like a watercolor piece for a Christmas present. And it, he posted it on Twitter and read it and it kind of blew up and I got a lot of encouragement from that. And I was like, huh, I wonder, maybe this art thing that I've never tapped into could be a thing. So I took a beginning art class and that was all she wrote. I dropped everything, switched majors. Three years later, I got a BFA in fine art and here we are. I've been painting for about five years now. That sounds uh, a little familiar to uh, me, but I chose to stick with the, the major I was on. The, mm. My drawing teacher said, Mike, you're like really good at this. You should, if you want to switch majors, I will sponsor you. And then I was wow. like, I think biology is going to pay more. I'll stick with that. <laughs> you were the wisest yeah. among it's us. Well, I knew for me, because I went for music ed, but I never took a single music course while I was at school, like I joined the music living learning community, but then I was just so intimidated by the program. It was really competitive. And I, I was just like, oh, I don't know about this. And so I ended up taking a bunch of theater courses. I declared as a theater pre-major and did all the prerequisites for that. I was about to like enter the program. And then I got distracted by that one beginning painting course. And that, that was everything. It's really awesome that that happened so quickly. It was like such a immediate, mm. that's probably one of the best feelings in life is that clarity, like that it, type of clarity. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just because that's such a, is it because that's such a rarity in life to have that much clarity? That seems kind of sad when I think about it and, and say it out loud. That's the beauty of it. It's, I think that's the beauty of it. Okay, well, that's fair. Um, so art school, um, going out of, coming out of art school, what was your intent to do? You know, it's like some people are like, oh, what are you going to do with an art degree? You know, right. and, and Moose is like, I, I don't know, I'm going into biology. So well, what, were, what were your thoughts coming out of school as far as, you know, what your plans were? I felt entirely lost and like I went to art school. I'm like, okay, art is what I want to do. They handed me this piece of paper that like I'm a real artist apparently and then threw me into the world and I'm just like, ah! Um, so I feel like I've been flying by the seat of my pants for a couple years now. <laughs> um, and I, I think realizing that I'm not the only one doing that, that's what adulthood is, uh, was really eye-opening. <laughs> Um, 
But yeah, when I first uh, got thrown into the world, I felt like art school really prepped me for the fine art world and they didn't really teach me any other options or any other ways to be successful. And I kind of needed to reevaluate what my goals were because uh, applying to all of these juried art shows and, and trying to get like my highbrow fine art from, from school um, scene, it felt, I felt a lot of imposter syndrome and I, it didn't feel quite right. I knew that there was a path for me and I hadn't quite found it yet. There are so many ways to make a living as an artist. And it, it took me a few years to figure out what that was. Um, but I, I used my art as a way to kind of process these feelings of being lost and aimless and wondering if my approach was the right way or not. Um, and I've kind of used my art as a way to kind of document um, my personal growth as far as that's concerned. Um, I took a job as a custom framer for two years and worked part-time. Um, and that was fun. I worked at Michael's. It was, I mean, I got a great discount on art supplies. Um, it was a steady, reliable job, but it was hard to, to find a healthy balance between the stuff I really wanted to do um, and just taking home a paycheck that was reliable. But um, in August last year, I put in my two weeks. I quit and I started streaming in the same month. I had no idea what was ahead of me, but I knew that my job was holding me back and I needed to take that plunge and gosh, best decision I ever did. So we've talked on the show a number of times where outside of fresh out of college, there's like no uh, straightforward path to a mm -hmm. career. Um, and you mentioned just a few months ago, um, so since your departure from Michaels, which uh, resources have been using have you been using to you know guide you towards? Yeah. Um, well, I think just starting on Twitch was more for me a way to. Uh, I, I really struggled with self discipline, and I knew that in order to be your own boss and to be an, an independent artist, that is a crucial skill. And I knew it was a weakness of mine, um, so I knew that was the first thing I needed to focus on. Um, was, was building this iron self-discipline and I'm still working on it. It's a constant, constant struggle and journey, but uh, streaming was just a way for me to clock in. So I was like, I want to paint three times a week. So I'm going to set a schedule and I don't care if anyone shows up, but I'm punching the timer and I'm going to put the work in. Um, and it blossomed into something so much more than I ever thought it could be. I've made some wonderful relationships. I've built a community of, of artists and creatives, and I'm just so blessed to have them. They've encouraged me so much and made me feel like being my most authentic self and following what felt right was the right path. And I think without that validation, it would have taken me a lot longer to find myself. Was it Concurrent to streaming that you started also developing a, like a business model, you know, or a sense of how you would go about structuring your presence online sure. and, you know, okay, well, what kind of products am I going to be selling and stuff like that as well? 
Um, so I had an Etsy for uh, quite a few years. I think I opened up my Etsy shop back in like 2016, like right when I started painting. And I'm like, I'm going to be an artist. And I just I, I set that up as soon as I possibly could and started uh, throwing as like any art creations I could into into that shop. Um, and it was pretty slow moving for many years. Um, but I didn't stop. Um, I had my Instagram. I've had that since around the same time frame. Um, but it wasn't until I started streaming on Twitch that um, I actually hit a thousand followers on Twitch the same day I hit a thousand followers on Instagram. And I'd had Twitch for a matter of months and my Instagram for years. Um, and it made me kind of reevaluate the kind of content people wanted to see from me and realize that it's not just my art that's valuable. It's me. It's my journey. It's my story. And people feel much more connected to my work if they feel like they know me or they can see my process. Um, so then I decided to make the jump to TikTok. A bunch of people had kind of egged me on to do it. And I had no idea what I'm doing. I still feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, but I hit the jackpot and had a few posts go viral. And now I'm sitting at like 9,000 followers or something, um, which is kind of surreal. But I'm really trying not to pay too much attention to it. Because lately, a lot of my posts haven't been getting as many views as you would expect them to um so i think it's it's really important to have kind of a healthy healthy relationship with social media it's such a crucial part of our our presence online but um like i also kind of want to sit with it like a six foot pole in between us like i don't want to i don't want to get too too and wrapped into it because it's it's very it can be very detrimental um if if you're not really careful with it yeah, uh, those likes can be a, a source of um, you know pleasure or extreme pain if you're like, Absolutely. wait, I'm supposed to be getting 60 likes per second in order to uh, hit the milestone that I want, but mm. I'm only getting 20 likes per second. That means I'm going to be fall way short because the algorithm wants it, all the stuff immediate. Yes, yes. Well, and algorithms change, and mm -hmm. things aren't always consistent, and that's something that we've mentioned a bit on this. Uh, on this podcast before you know to have variety and have mm. other things other irons in the fire because things can change and you can't rely on one thing to do it all for you um but going back to the development of your sort of business sense and oh yeah business, <laughs> and over that, didn't no, I? <laughs> no, yeah but don't worry about yeah. it yeah, tangents, yeah, yeah. Let's are, back. <laughs> tangents are more than welcome um so in this phase, you know, like everybody kind of goes through this period of not knowing enough to know what you don't know. Yes. When you're in, when you're in that, again, you know, kind of like coming out of art school, trying to find your way, where were you looking um, as far as like for guidance and getting ideas for how to start, you know, like you said you started an Etsy, but it's one thing to just like make an Etsy store and then it's quite another thing to actually start making money. And that goes for any kind of Absolutely. sales presence that you have online. So yeah, from just like opening a store to actually like making sales, what were you looking for in terms of like learning uh -huh. how to make that happen? Well, this question 
um, when I was looking through the list of questions, it's actually my favorite that, that you put together is in that phase of not knowing enough and like, where were I looking? Where was I looking for guidance? Um, I was looking anywhere and everywhere, desperately trying to find someone to look up to as a role model that lived the life I wanted to live. And I couldn't find anyone. There were so many artists that were so successful in their own perfect circles, but it wasn't the life I wanted for me. And eventually uh, I realized that I, I just got super fed up with it and said, you know what? I'm going to pave my own path. I'm not going to wait for someone else to be a role model and I can follow in their footsteps. Um, I have a inkling of an idea of what I don't want. So I won't go there. I'm going to stop pursuing the fine art world. I'm going to stop applying to gallery shows because I'm just hemorrhaging money applying and constantly getting rejected. Um, and I don't think that the art that I truly wanted to make was suitable for that audience anymore. Um, so I made the jump to, um, uh, start selling my art at Renaissance fairs. Actually, my parents, um, uh, vend their flutes there and I, I kind of followed in their footsteps. Run Fair has been like a huge part of um, my social life and I gosh I just love it. Um, so I started selling little painted eye lockets like lover's eye lockets um, that were popularized. Um, gosh you know I used to know my history when I had my whole spiel but it's been a little bit. <laughs> um, I got one of the King Henry's um, popularized um, uh, you know, I could be wrong on that too. You know, let's just let's <laughs> abort, abort. No, I'm kidding. Um, but they they were popularized having these um these painted lover eye lockets, and it's really special because um the person who has who receives the locket, you can look into someone's eye and you can see uh so much. You you recognize the person, but to someone else, it's like anonymous, and so there's kind of this mystery about it. And so I wanted to kind of bring that to Ren Fair. Um, and it was fun and I started doing really well. I got my first taste of what working art shows or um, craft fairs or anything like that was kind of like. Um, and I got a lot of good feedback. But eventually I kind of got to a point where it started to feel a little stale. And I realized that it had become more of a craft rather than an art. And there's no shame in being a craftsman um, or a craftswoman, but it wasn't fulfilling work for me. There was a, a formula to it. Um, I'm painting an eye, it's you paint an eye and you paint 20 of them and you paint 50 of them and it's still an eye. Um, and, and a lot of the commission work was, was mostly, was the most popular part. So I would put a lot of time and effort into creating an inventory for people to see what I'm capable of, but that wasn't what was selling as much. So I felt like it was just, wasn't the best fit. So I made the decision to, uh, stop vending at Ren Fairs or that um, 2020 would be my last year, COVID hit. And I got, I was like, oh, well, I guess the universe is telling me I'm really done. Um, I had forgotten to, <laughs> to clean out the trunk of my car from the previous red fair. And I, by the time I'd opened it, um, all of the moisture from my, my camping tent and everything had completely molded all of my inventory and, or like the display cases. Um, so well, I, the inventory was actually saved, but everything that I needed to display my work in that particular venue was destroyed. Um, so I, I listened to the universe and said, okay, that's not the right path. Where, what's, what's a better path for me? And that's when I turned to Twitch. After a few months in Twitch, I um, decided to 
take the jump to open my own e-commerce shop on my own website because I had my own website, but I went through this whole process of rebranding and trying to be a little more authentically me. Um, it's been some really good steps, but um, yeah, I still have my Etsy, but I don't promote it as much anymore. Oh, we lose Moose. <laughs> uh, yeah, we forgot to mention that that just periodically happens. He'll be right back. Don't worry about oh, it. Oh, <laughs> okay. Cool. Perfect. <laughs> um. So, so yeah, that was a, a really interesting uh, turn of events for me. Um, but I am definitely a lot happier creating work that I would consider maybe a little more lowbrow, not what I would see in like uppity uh, art galleries. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but I just started focusing more on what I thought people would actually want to purchase because I realized I wanted to pursue more monetary success um, rather than receiving like recognition and prestige or um, uh, what I determined as the three pillars of um, artistic success were artistic excellence, um, monetary success or um, recognition and prestige. And I kind of thought to myself, like, why am I pursuing recognition and prestige without focusing on perfecting my craft first? <laughs> so I set out to improve my craft and realized that I wanted to um, uh, measure my success more by um, from a monetary standpoint and actually make you know, a, li a living from it. So. So while the banana taped to a wall might be monetary excellence, it's not artistic ex excellence. Is that what we're saying? Um, I think it depends on the artist. I, I think that's that's definitely one of the the funny things that people keep bringing up to me um, specifically, which is quite funny because I'm I'm actually banana phobic. I hate bananas; they make me nauseous. So it's funny that you brought that up. <laughs> My, one of my Twitch emotes is literally just like a big ban, ban Anna, if you will. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I think arti artistic excellence has more to do with um, feeling fulfilled in your work, at least for me. I don't think that there's a way, um, I mean, sure, other people can give you awards and say your art is really great, but I would say that would fall into like the recognition and prestige part. But if you're truly feel like you're doing your best, that's what I would call artistic excellence. Um, so, so that's kind of what I started to pursue as far as that that's concerned. Yeah, it's like a lot of things, you know, like who your audience is. Like the banana tape mm -hmm. to the wall is hot, steaming garbage to a lot of people. Sure. And then to some people, it's like, yeah, that's that's the highest form of art, um, you know, as as well as you know who you're selling to and. Uh, yeah, your audience and all things is sort of like the ultimate, the ultimate context. So that's really I I've never heard it framed in that way. Like the the three pillars that you mentioned is that something that you came up with on your own, or did you uh, stumble upon that? Uh, I yeah, I think it's. I mean, I I looked at a lot of other sources and kind of saw how other people um determined what being su successful as an artist meant. Um, but then I started writing my own blog, and that was one of my what I would argue is one of my most earlier successful posts was kind of breaking that down. And I did it mostly for me, but I thought it was valuable information to share. So I wanted to just put it out there. Um, it's also a good way to improve SEO to my website to have those kind of keywords um, linking to my page. So that was another goal. Yeah, it's uh, awesome that you mentioned the blog. I didn't include it in the preliminary questions, but if there is time, I do actually want to um, get back to that. One of our uh, a previous guest uh we talked a lot about 
monetizing through mm-hmm. blogging, which is, I don't know, it's still fascinating to me. That's um, still new to me too. I'm like, I don't know how to monetize it, but it's definitely a, uh, it's scratching a creative itch. I When I was really young, I actually wanted to be an author um, and I set a life goal to publish a book. And then I altered that goal to say, well, maybe I can just publish a book of my piano compositions. That counts, right? But now I'm thinking, I actually have something to say and I do really enjoy writing, like writing essays and stuff where it was like one of my favorite courses in, in like high school and stuff. So having an outlet to share what I think is valuable in, in a form of writing is, is another art form for me. <laughs> uh, just a quick aside, uh, the way to monetize a blog in like a two minute span of uh, a spiel is you take whichever um, blog articles are the most successful, getting the most traffic, um, mm-hmm. and then you make a course or a tutorial out of them, and then you sell that mm-hmm. tutorial. And similarly, uh, the blog traffic is now, um, as a whole, also going to go uh, provide additional traffic to you, either your web store or other tutorials that are in the same field. I would I I only add on to that, that ad, there's also advertising and then like affiliate, um, where if you can get in, Amazon affiliate is like the best known. Then if you can get in with, um, you know, other like manufacturers, you know, or, or suppliers of other products that are related to your field of interest, and you can kind of like arrange a deal that like certain amount of clicks or certain amount of like mm-hmm. page views or what. Anyway, yeah. We, That's we'll, less for artists though because there isn't as many affiliate links for artists as there are for like you know, lawn mowers or whatever more than you I mean, might think uh, let's move on but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the first thing i thought of would be like like um putting ads on my blog or something and i didn't want to do that but i don't think i get that much traffic but i write for me not for i mean if people want to find that information or if someone in my twitch stream asks a question that i know would be like a 30 minute conversation then i've already had that conversation before sometimes i'll just say hey that five things i wish as i knew i wish things i wish i knew as a beginning artist like that's that's a blog post on my website you can read it and like come back to it later um really you know those things also make good Twitter threads if you are so inclined. Mm, noted. I'm still pretty new to Twitter as well. <laughs> I, I I think I saw you had a question um, later on that was something along like how I have so many different social medias. But I think, yeah, I am really just kind of covering all my bases here. People's, I, there's, there's a different audience on every platform. And it's not that you need to create brand new content for every platform. You just want to... It needs to be visible. You need people to see it. Um, you shouldn't feel bad about double posting or um, anything like that. Like you've got a different, unique audience on each platform, and you don't want certain people to miss it. And similarly, you shouldn't feel bad about double posting on the same platform because mm. chances are there's a lot of people that wanted to see it that didn't see it the first time around. Totally. I learned an interesting t- statistic, and I'm not sure how true it is, but. I think it was something along like less than 20% of your followers actually see the content that you post, um, which is just honestly appalling. And if you look on my TikTok, I have over 9,000 followers and my videos get on average about 200 views. Um, And the algorithm switched and no longer favors the content I put out, but I'm still putting it out. Uh, I post the same content on Instagram Reels. Um, sometimes I'll edit it down a little bit because Reels on, are only 30 seconds where um, you can do a little bit longer on TikTok if you if you so feel inclined. Um, and the same exact posts, like I'll, I'll make the post and within a couple minutes, it'll I'll get a notification saying, hey, your Reel has a thousand views. And I'm like, I just posted it. What do you mean? And then I'll look on TikTok and it's like, you have 
13 views. And so it has no reflection on the quality of your content. It's purely algorithm. So don't and, let it get you down. <laughs> and while we're on this topic, uh, briefly, I can interject. Also, YouTube has their own shorts, which is basically the same thing. So if you're yes. not on that platform, you can always jump in the same stuff. YouTube is brand new to me. I have just created a, a, um, a YouTube and I've got like my VOD archive there. And that's been kind of new to me. I'm trying to figure it out. Video content is king right now. And I am so out of my comfort zone creating it or editing it or anything like that. So baby steps. But that was my New Year's resolution for 2021 was to create a YouTube and get more video content out there. There was recently a video on like YouTube hacks of mm -hmm. uh, how to grow your YouTube channel. And basically the thing is right now it's really prioritizing those shorts. So I think short content in general, people have really small attention spans. So the more concise uh, content you can make or the most information you can pack into the smallest amount of time is usually going to be your most successful content. And in this case, it happens to be that that's also the new thing on Instagram, on, on, on YouTube. So when YouTube puts out a new thing, they want people to use it. If they're not right. using it, then the people who are using it will be the ones that are pushed to the forefront. So yeah. not a lot of people are using it. And now people that do use it are getting a boost for free. I think the same thing on Instagram, once they introduced Reels to try to compete with TikTok, if you aren't using, if you're trying to use Instagram the same way you've been for the last three or four years, um, you're not getting any views on your content. Like it has to be video. Otherwise people aren't going to see it or try the go live feature or anything like that, which I haven't quite dabbled in too much because I'm live on Twitch, but I definitely, I know I should. <laughs> yeah. yeah the there was that one post not too long ago about why your uh, Instagram engagement is crap. And mm. it was basically like a list of all the new features that Instagram has added over the last few years and how many times they want to use it per week. And if you're not doing it that mu as much as they are saying, then they're going to scale down your engagement. Mm. Yeah. The big drag is that video content. It just takes so long. I think it's, uh, I, and I know yes. that you can reuse, <clears throat> excuse me, like all of your TikTok content, you could probably um, reformat into a, a YouTube short, right? Definitely. But even making those initial posts, it's like, Oh God, it's like, uh, how long is this going to take me? And am I going to start obsessing about, editing the video i don't know it, it it's it's way well, more i have certainly found a bit of i don't want to call it a hack but i since i am a total noob at video editing i don't even own like any like real software for it yet i haven't taken the plunge um i used to record all of my content within the tiktok app but it was so glitchy i was infuriated with it I ended up downloading Ucut Video Editor, and that's what I've been using so far. And it's all just on my phone. Um, and I'm able to adjust the clips. I can add music. I can add all the things. But um, you can save it, save it, and then post it on multiple platforms without that watermark that they do if you try to download the video. Um, and I'm able to. I, I just recently posted a packaging video of like an order packaging video and I created one version for TikTok that was a bit longer and then it was too long to be posted to Instagram reels. So I uh, sped up certain segments and, and trimmed it a little bit. So it's the same content, but just a little more concise and posted it there. Um, and it gave me the freedom to do that. So I'm really glad I found that out. Can you uh, import in uh, video from like Twitch into that app or is um, that too I don't. 
I don't see why not. It is a phone app. So I think if you had that video content on your phone already, um, I, it, I don't know if there's a desktop version or anything like that, but I imagine that would be a lot easier on the computer. Um, but yeah, I just like use my camera, record a bunch of clips and then um, upload them all to the thing and adjust everything. Yeah, I was taking just thinking, it, sorry, go ahead. Taking it out of Twitch, I mean, hypothetically, you could uh, make a little highlight, mm -hmm. download that, oh, sure. then send it to the cloud, then download it onto your phone. It's a little bit more yeah. of an involved process, but I mean, yeah, since, you, you since you're already making so much content on Twitch that you, you basically have like this huge resource of potential clips and, you know, but content. So it's might be, might a be brilliant it. thing that I have not tapped into yet. All of my content on social media is not from the existing content I have on Twitch. It is all uniquely created for it. And I feel like I've really spread myself thin and led myself to burnout by doing that. Um, just because I haven't wanted to to learn how to edit my existing long form content, um, so I think I've made it harder on myself um, by avoiding that. <laughs> so this idea of being hard on yourself is uh, a good segue back to you know your uh, emerging life as a business person, um, mm. because being an independent artist is a lot of work. And arguably, there are uh, things that you could do with your life that might make it a lot easier, <laughs> relatively <Yes>. speaking. <laughs> but but what prompted you to uh, really dedicate yourself to this? Um, I would say COVID in general was such a blessing and a curse. Um, I didn't have very much or I never really took the time to sit with my own thoughts and really do much life reflection and it provided me the the space and time to do so because I was um well my my job as a custom framer it closed for a while and I was um on unemployment for a few months um and that just gave me such a an eye-opening awakening to the kind of work I could be doing if I wasn't spreading myself so thin with a part-time job on top of it. Um, I'm sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> well, you know, I was being a little cheeky that, you know, there's things that you could do to make hey. your life a little bit easier, uh, you know, aside from trying to be, you know, a professional independent artist. So, you know, mm -hmm. like what was it that made it seem worth it to you to like want to take on that burden <laughs> and, make art you know your your life and your career i don't feel like it was a decision that i decided to do it was always kind of a certainty from me for me at an early age i knew regardless before i even knew i wanted to be an artist i knew i wanted to be an entrepreneur um i knew i wanted to follow in my parents footsteps as and create my own business in some way um, I was always trying to come up with interesting um, odd jobs and businesses when I was a kid. Like I created a little baking business where I would make cookies for my neighbors and stuff or um, would mow lawns or whatever. I always wanted to create this crazy structure and marketing for it. Like as a kid, um, it was a fun thing for me. Um, and I think having my parents as role models, it really made me, it made me see what that life looks like. and. Um, sure, they work a lot, but 
they also got to work from home and got to spend more quality time with family. And uh, I think that was just really valuable. And I didn't, I knew I wouldn't be happy or content working for someone else. Um, and so I think that was regardless of whatever uh, <laughs> career I ended up in, I knew that I, I needed to have the flexibility to jump from thing to thing. And who knows, maybe in 10 years from now, I'm going to be focused more on teaching piano lessons again. Who knows? But I want that flexibility. It sounds like you were an entrepreneur first. I mean, not that the sort of a chicken and egg kind of thing. Sure. But yeah. I, yeah. Not, I haven't put much thought into it, but it's like now that it's kind of coming out here on the podcast. But yeah, I... I think I always I always knew I wanted to own my own business. I think that was definitely a goal of mine. And it's quite surreal to be sitting here on this podcast talking about my art career. Because um, I, in a lot of ways, I feel like I've still just started um, my journey. But Well, I hope that's in a good way. Oh, no, it absolutely is. <laughs> all right. Because even now that now actually that, that, that I'm saying that um, entrepreneur... I mean, so like the essence of being an entrepreneur is creativity, I think. So at the heart of it, that's it's sort of like one, uh, you know, the, the entrepreneurial spirit lends itself very well to, you know, being an artist. And yet still many artists seem very inhibited by the entrepreneurial spirit, you know, or uh, have some resistance against developing mm -hmm. that, you know, so people that really take to it with, with gusto are, um, intriguing. <laughs> I guess that's <laughs> not that you're like a scientific experiment, but sure, uh, sure. No, I can, I can see how, how that could, how you could say that it's intriguing. I think a lot of people are kind of scared to give things their all, like they'll dip their toes, they'll try things and see if it's going to work. but. I don't think anything's really going to work until you actually pour your heart and soul into it and give it all you got. Um, and it, I mean, that's true for my abilities as an artist, um, for growing my business, for streaming, any endeavor I've ever put my mind to. It's, I, I didn't start to see any growth until I poured my everything into it. Yeah. I was going to say that um, I would, I would estimate roughly 90% of artists that I've talked to have thought about getting good at art first and then not thought about business at all until they were actually already good and then somehow needed to make money with that mm. skill that they had developed. So they weren't ready to be entrepreneurs. They weren't ready to be self-owned uh, self uh, businesses. They just were thinking, all right, now I'm good. Now where's the money, right? Yeah. Well, there is going to be a unique audience for every type of art, regardless of the skill level. Um, and there hopefully are people in your lives that will support you and encourage you at any level that you are. Um, one can hope that you have that kind of support system, um, but no one ever feels ready. Um, so I think the most important thing is to just get out there and start doing it before you're ready, because that, there's never going to be a point where you do feel ready. Um, and that was the best advice I ever received about starting streaming, but I think it applies to literally every facet of your life there's so much to be learned uh 
on the job, you know, you'll start it with a certain iteration of, of what you've got. And then, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've edited my content or my website, like the content on my website in like a different way, um, or changed the overlay on my Twitch stream. Gosh, probably at least 20 times since I started, um, trying to find what was just right. Um, but you gotta, you gotta put in some time, get some, some experience under your belt before you can even really start it feels like, you know, so don't, don't hesitate because you got, you have to get your ducks in a row. It's, you're going to be constantly trying to put them, put them in a row for years um, as you, as you're along the journey. Like don't, don't wait to get it, have it perfect before you start. Cause it never will be. Especially not Twitch uh, overlays. Those are never perfect. You'll always never. work on those. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the parallels there to a piece of artwork are, it mm. always, uh, it never ceases to, amaze me you know like how many parallels there are you know that yeah. it's you just have to do it if you just spend all of your time thinking about the piece of art that you want to make or being intimidated by it you're never going to start it it's never going to exist at all and that's like way worse than it being uh not what you expected because it's, it's you know only you're probably going to think that it's bad it might not turn out to be the way that you expected it but not never going to be bad. So just do it. Yeah, <laughs> it, doesn't have I to, it doesn't have to be a masterpiece. Couldn't agree more. I think that that's a thing that a lot of artists um, uh, fall into this trap of uh, they have an idea and they just keep building up this up the grandeur of how it, what it's going to be until they just they can't even they're paralyzed to make the first step because they're never going to do the idea justice. And that is just the biggest disservice you can do to your own creativity. Like if you're blessed with a wonderful idea, get it out on paper, get it out on the canvas. And if you want to make it perfect, recreate it, do it again to make, to iron out the kinks, but workshopping and planning is only going to get you so far. And it's far better to truly do it than, um, than to plan. I like to set the fire under people by calling them selfish if they don't. <laughs> I you, love that. I love you, that. Yeah. If you've got a great idea, you know, it's like, well, you can say that you're inhibited by your own insecurity, but what you're really doing is just robbing the rest of the world of this like awesome idea by keeping it secret. Like if somebody else gave you this like super cool, great thing that was going to make the world a better place, like wouldn't you kind of be a jerk if you were going to hoard it all to yourself? So even if it's your own idea, it's kind of the same thing, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I couldn't agree. There's actually, I read a book, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, it's a book on creative living, but she has a really interesting idea um, about the inception of ideas and how uh, when you have an idea and you decide that you're going to enact that into your work, you create this agreement with the idea. And if you don't, uh, pull through on your end of the bargain, that idea will leave you. You'll lose the motivation and um, it won't, like you're not two years down the road if you still have this idea and you've never done it, like it's stale. You're not going to come back to it. And this, she has this interesting idea of these, these ideas, they come to us, but if we don't fulfill them and manifest them, they will find someone else. And it's not, you shouldn't worry so much about making your idea original and new because we're humans, we all have the same human brain and we've been pondering the same questions and philosophies for years and years and years. 
Um, but the way that you bring it into existence is where the originality comes. Um, so you don't want to lose that opportunity to, to manifest that idea in your own way, because someone will, someone else will do it if you don't do it first. Yeah. There's no new ideas under the sun. Um, no. there's that, uh, really great, uh, video, I, a series I suggest everyone watch called, uh, everything is a remix on YouTube. Mm. And it just says like, you know, as much as you want to think that Led Zeppelin was brand new, they were just, uh, a, a rhythm and blues, but with, uh, a slightly different, uh, uh, you know, twist to it, and they were even uh, straight up ripping off some uh, old old uh, lyrics um, from other songwriters, and they never sued. They never got sued, but and they also never sued anybody when they themselves were ripped off. Okay. So it's it's all a, a interaction with what you're exposed to, and then how you change it. Yeah. So this idea of excuse me just jumping right in kind of figuring it out as you go um reminds me of what you mentioned earlier about your i think it was your dad was just kind of throw everything at the wall and see what sticks and that becomes apparent i think when looking at apparent you say uh, hey the zing. <laughs> oh, how dare you um it becomes obvious when we see you know how much stuff you are doing all of these different things that you're trying online um and all of the products that you offer too that was one thing that sort of like struck me as you know i was sort of uh getting a feel for all of what you were doing um yeah there's there's so much uh there's lots of it <laughs> i have a lot of questions about please <laughs> about please the, the quantity the quality is obviously great um, well, first of all, like, where do you like to get your products made? Because you, yeah. you, ha you have so many different things. They're all from different sources. So that's that's a hassle in itself. But um, I have my prints. I have printed through Mpix, which is an online um, printing company. I've tried a couple different ones, but Mpix by far has the highest quality, in my opinion, as far as like the colors of my work seem incredibly accurate. Um, they have a, a G clay print option and three different paper qualities. So I'm able to choose one that suits my needs. I choose the fine art paper. It's like got kind of a subtle watercolor texture to it. Um, and I've always just been really pleased with their quality and customer service. So they've, I'm going to be a customer for life, I'm sure. Um, but I've kind of dabbled in, I use sticker app for my sticker. Um, I've jumped over to Sticker Mule to try making magnets. Um, I'm totally not married to either of those companies, but so far they haven't steered me wrong yet. Um, also, <laughs> Sticker Mule is nice because whenever you get an order, they throw in their, their uh, mule sauce. They have like this hot sauce. And I think it's so <laughs> bizarre that <laughs> they are a sticker and magnet making company, but then they also have this hot sauce. And it's really good. It makes me want to buy more, more product from them because, gosh, that hot sauce, it's so tasty. <laughs> They're putting something well, in. That, that's their business Their business model was them as a hot sauce company. Like, how do we get people to buy our hot yeah. sauce? Let's sell. Let's make stickers for people, and then we'll send them it, their hot, the hot sauce. It's completely <laughs> ludicrous, but man, does it work. Um, <laughs> 
But as far as um, some of the other products that I offer, like apparel, and I've kind of jumped over, like I've just recently released like mugs and blankets and like tote bags and all this crazy stuff. Um, that is definitely the throw it at the wall and see whatever sticks. Um, I tried a couple different um, third party printing companies. Um, and settled on Printful um, because they have a great way of integrating with my website, which is through Wix. They integrate with Etsy so I can just add those listings to my existing shops. I don't have to create like a separate uh, store on like a Redbubble page or whatever. Like um, it's all exists within my shop. Um, they have opportunities for me to brand my like if I were to have a hoodie printed, there is an option where I can add like a little my logo like printed where the tag would normally go. Um, and that was really important for me. Um, and I was really pleased with the quality of it. So um, that's been really great to really expand my um uh, my inventory because I don't have to invest any initial costs in the product. Um, I pay for the materials of the product when an order is placed. So it's pure profit pretty much. Um, but trying to find an appropriate way to price something where I don't really have to put much work into was also kind of a difficult dance because I felt like I... I don't know. It's like the cost of the materials for clothing and apparel is far more expensive than a print. So I felt guilty to increase my prices to a profitable wage. Because um, normally when it comes to to pricing my my products, I look at um, I look at, OK, what's the cost of the material? And then I usually like factor in like I'll multiply that by like four or five, depending on the product. And that's kind of my formula and having that high of a profit margin allows me to cover my packaging, other overhead, like my Adobe Photoshop um, subscription, my QuickBooks subscription. I've got so many, like my printer ink for other things. There's so many other um, costs um, that go in. So it's important to make sure that it's not just covering the cost of the actual material. Um, but with my stuff on Printful, it's it was to to use that same formula to increase the 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 bare cost like four or five times would have made like a hoodie like two hundred dollars or something absurd. And so um, I pulled that number out of my ass. I don't know if that's accurate. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, it would have been absolutely absurd. So I, I try to try to find a balance of at least like 50% or like I'll at least double the cost that they have because um, they have some kind of hidden fees where the shipping and the taxes come out of your profit and they're not super transparent about that. I had to learn that the hard way. Um, but yeah, I think the wide variety has been a really good step for me, I think, as far as um, making money from the art that I have already made instead of focusing on commission work. So for uh, throwing stuff at the wall and see what sticks, that sounds like a good avenue for like a Kickstarter or something. Absolutely. So where you, have you put, uh, put any effort into Kickstarters before? No, but I actually, I actually, there's um, one of your podcast episodes that was all about Kickstarter and I have that bookmarked. I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm delighted that you already have, have touched on the topic of Kickstarters because I am a total Kickstarter noob, but I have just started a tarot project and it's a massive, massive uh, project to do 78 cards. Um, 
So I think once I'm a little bit farther along, maybe I, once I've finished all the major Arcana cards or something, I might I might look into into starting a Kickstarter for that. I think it's a great opportunity to one gain funding to buy the initial like bulk of the decks, and also just to increase awareness. There's actually yeah, two episodes. Really, mm, two episodes. So I know we had the one with Blake and uh, Gavin. What was the other one that you're referring to? Jeffy? Me? Oh, well, there's the yeah. one with Blake and Gavin and then the one with uh, Ethan. That's right, because uh, Ethan did uh, complete his... Uh, this was like a post-mortem of his most recent Kickstarter. Yeah, the one with Ethan okay. is is good because we go from like like pre-launch, beginning of launch middle of campaign end of campaign and then all the post campaign stuff and so it's like it's a really great oh, amazing. breakdown yeah amazing um so printful is is one of these uh like print on demand kind of services right, or, or right yeah. okay where you just sort yeah. of like put the image on and they uh make it look like it's actually like on the the different items that people can yeah yeah get. they create the mock-ups for you and then um when someone checks out from my from my website if they buy a sticker and a print and a hoodie or something like that um i'll get the order in i'll see okay i've got a sticker and a print and a hoodie well i don't have to do anything about that hoodie that's going to be immediately drop shipped to them um so if it's just a hoodie like i don't have to do anything um, but I'll still have to ship the sticker and the print separately. So it comes in two separate packages. Um, but the customer only pays shipping once. So sometimes I eat some extra costs there. But Have you applied to Amazon Merch? I have not. Um, I'm still in the earlier. Um, so like I just started um, pursuing this, this full-time thing like nine months ago. So I am far, they're farther along than I would have expected to be at this point. Um, but just managing um, my my Wix, my Etsy, and my Twitch, um, I've only just started to figure out how taxes work for different platforms. So I think before I start delving into new things like Amazon merch and stuff like that, I would want to get a better grasp on on all of that. When you were talking about uh, your Printful shop, and you mentioned something about being one hundred percent profit. What can what what did you mean by well, that? When when I say one hundred percent profit, I just mean like I don't have to. Um, it's a guaranteed profit, I guess, is what I meant by that. Not a hundred percent. It's a guaranteed profit. Thank you for clarifying. Because um, like there is the cost of goods, and I do pay for the goods. I pay for the shipping. There is all of that. But if you have the price set at an appropriate profit. Um, you don't have to worry about investing in inventory in order to to make money. It's it's you only pay the cost of the material once you are guaranteed that an order has been placed, and then they produce the material once the order has been placed. So it's all print on demand. What kind of cut do they give you at Printful? Um, you get to choose. Um, so you choose the price that you want. So they tell you this is the cost of um, the materials. Um, they don't really tell you how much shipping and taxes are going to be. So um, you should definitely round up that. I feel like the taxes and shipping for like a hoodie usually end up being at least $7 or around there. Um, and so if you look at what you think is going to be your profit, you need to know that's like roughly $7 or something's going to be subtracted from that. Um, so you need to round up. But yeah, you get to choose the price and how much profit you want you want to make. I believe the, the uh, Streamlabs store is similar. So yes. anyone with a Streamlabs account can make their own store and then mm -hmm. integrate that into their Twitch account. 
Yeah, actually, that it's funny that you mentioned that. That was actually the very first avenue that I, I dabbled in. I have some other streamer friends who have um, decided to use that. And they're, they're not artists, but they do have their own merch. And so that was the easiest, most sensible way for them to do that. Um, but since I'm having my artwork printed on, on hoodies, I care a lot about how the colors turn out and the quality of the printing. Whereas if it's just a little logo, it doesn't matter as much. Um, so I, I did a test print through um, Streamlabs and I was not pleased. <laughs> So I, I've tried a couple other different companies and Printful was the one that I ended up going with for their versatility and the quality of the product. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, that's what I, I was going to ask, right? why you didn't stick with that service. And yeah. I've heard it mentioned before and I've kind of been curious about it myself. So that's really good to hear that review that they're, yeah. it's, it's, it's probably, as you say, you know, like their main focus as in everything that they do is, probably going to be more for you know gamers and you know like a, a different kind of audience than people that are going to like want absolutely um more subtlety and <laughs> uh right i think if you're looking for like a name plastered on a on a shirt or like something that like, like a logo or something like that i think it would be a great option for people that are looking for that but if you're if you want to be a little more nuanced i would not recommend it <laughs> Not so much with beautiful watercolors and things like that. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to inventory that you do keep in stock for yourself, is that just prints and mm -hmm. stickers then? Print stickers, magnets, I would say, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. I just added postcards, but that's pretty similar to print, so. <laughs> you mentioned being pretty early on in this stage of kind of like feeling out what you do and don't like. Has it been long enough to determine like something that just didn't work for you and you're like, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore. I am just at the point where I'm starting to realize. So I've offered three different print sizes for my work, um, a five by seven an eight by 10 and an 11 by 14. And then I've like some other square compositions where I've done like five by five, eight by eight, 10 by 10 and 12 by 12. But uh, it's, I wanted my art to be seen as like the bigger prints, but uh, just the costs, like you're going to make more sales from the smaller prints. Um, and I used to be a little, I used to kind of, <laughs> was a little butthurt about it at first. I'm like, why don't they want a big piece? But maybe they can't afford it. And, or maybe they only have the wall space. You have no idea. Um, but I'm finally at the point where I'm realizing that, that investing in the 11 by 14 prints just isn't quite feasible. And it's not that I'm not going to offer them anymore, but the amount of inventory I'm willing to invest in those sizes, I'm only going to buy like one or two prints just so that I have something if it gets, if the order is placed, but, um, any like buying three of them, I would say is way over overkill. Cause I, they rarely sell. I and the cost is so much more expensive compared to any other print. Like I'm spending like base. I actually can't even come up with a number off the top of my head, but it is astronomically more than the other prints. And I'd get a smaller percentage profit from those, uh, from those just because I wanted it to be priced affordably. I imagine the uh, cost of the framing has something to do with the larger prints being less popular. See that? Um, I don't know. I feel like if you just go to Michael's and you buy a frame, like I am very, very well versed in the frame department at Michael's, let me tell you. Um, 
Um, if you're looking at custom framing, it can get really crazy expensive, but I've been really cautious to make sure that all of my prints are standard sizes. And I think that is something a lot of artists don't really put a lot of forethought into. Um, they think of what's the best for the composition, um, but it can add some obscene costs to your customers if you decide to do a kind of a funky, interesting, artistic sized print. Um, because a custom frame, like at the size of like 11 by 14, or if you decided to do 11 by 15 instead, because it better suited the composition, that's going to cost your customer to, to custom frame it like at least $200. And that's not something that a lot of people think about. But you could buy an 11 by 14 frame like on sale for maybe 20 if if it's like a standard size. Yeah, and it's pretty extensive like the amount of like standard sizes that you that you have mm. so you can have the best of both worlds you know like you don't have to be finicky about your composition you know like oh well it has to be this way and screw the framing it's like chances are there's a standard frame that's going to be close enough to the type of composition that you want to do to like not have to worry about it too Absolutely. much yeah so that standardization thing is is really important and i feel personally attacked when you talk about uh, artists not thinking about it because I, <laughs> I uh, not for not for a huge amount of time but I was not putting any thought into that you well, know? I was yeah. like oh this is 13 by 14 yeah that makes sense sure you know oh, this yeah. is 12, 12 12 and a half by 16 and three quarters uh, I was just like I don't even know like where I was getting like oh I would start working on a piece and then just like randomly like increase the canvas size oh, i want to extend mm. a little bit more over here i want to extend a little bit and i would end up with these funky jacked up <laughs> sizes <laughs> well i it's not intuitive if you're not coming from a framing background and before i started my custom framing job i didn't put a lot of uh thought into the sizing i would pick a scrap piece of paper that was cut off the end of another piece and turn that into a piece of art and that certainly wasn't standard um but one of the awesome solutions to having funky sized art is if you go with a custom mat that fits a standard frame you can save a lot mm. of money that way or you can choose to offer your artwork matted at least so you can at least take the custom part out of the equation for your customer by offering the piece matted to a standard size yeah, even so, for even for digital artists, I think that there's some worthwhile uh, information here um, because, um, you know, people want desktops, uh, yeah. you know, like wallpapers, their their phone backgrounds, uh, you know, things like that. So it's worth considering, even if you're, you know, in 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 that space as well, or like one hundred percent, like a website banner, you know, things like that. Totally, I think being mindful of where the art is going to be um, displayed and and the size and shape of that I, and the resolution or whatever. It's, yeah, all, all really important to consider. Um, maybe not in the earliest stages, but at least, like, you might end up cropping it to, to fit because um, you would hate for it to naturally, like, some system to crop it in a weird way or stretch it or do something. <laughs> totally butcher your artwork just because um, it needs to fit a certain resolution. So I was uh, thinking, um, you have the prints that are of various sizes, and you have uh, stickers. You have uh, what else? What else in summary are we uh, up to? Um, it's 
Well, I'd say prints and stickers are probably the bread and butter, but I also have added um, like postcards and and magnets and then all of the stuff that's print on demand through Printful, which I have totally lost track. I've just gone off the deep end with adding fun fun things and people keep requesting more and I don't know what's going to stay, but it certainly doesn't cost me anything to throw it up there and see if it does anything. Whereas if I had to invest in the inventory myself, um, I'm a little bit more methodical about what designs I put out or how much inventory I invest in. All right. So the question I was going to ask was, uh, what were like the biggest percentages of that? And you said uh, the prints and the stickers are the are the two biggest. Uh, so are those Bread like 60% or... You know, I don't know that I have that information yet. I'm still sorting through QuickBooks. Um, I'm a little behind on my taxes. So <laughs> I filed for an extension um, because I had a whole snafu with QuickBooks. Um, I sorted all of my transactions and then um, my free trial expired and turns out you can't transfer the data to a lower tier. So I had to do that all over again, sort every single transaction from my bank account from the beginning of 2020 until now. Um, That's super rude. Yeah, I did that all yesterday, and my brain's still fried. <laughs> Happy Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, <laughs> woo! <laughs> so are you tracking... Uh, I, I assume that you are tracking your sales to some degree, though, because you, obviously yeah, you're doing absolutely. your taxes, absolutely. so you gotta, you got to know what you're selling. Yeah. Um, you know, we always tell people to be as specific or as general as they want. Um, do you... What are your numbers looking like from I'm I'm most interested in your uh, web store, your your printful because yeah. um, places like that can feel tricky. You, you have the integration with your website. That seems really important because then you don't have to send people to yet another place. Yes. So that's a great key ingredient. Um, mm -hmm. But then getting people to buy like coffee mugs and shit like always seems just like so well i don't want to make any hard and fast statements about what it is or isn't because sure, some sure. people some people obviously like do very well with you know merchandise like it's... that how how um how much less than your prints and your stickers is it or well, do you, do you, you see know... a consistent stream of it uh, it's surprise. It's funny that you say that because when I first started, I was so reluctant to jump on the printful train and create apparel and make mugs. I felt like it was all pretty kitschy and I worried that it devalued my work. Um, but honestly, if you think about it, there's only so much space on people's walls and there are some designs that people love but they don't necessarily want it framed on the wall. They'd rather wear it as a hoodie or look at it um, every morning when they drink their coffee. And it brings us, it, you can introduce your art in so many other areas of people's lives. Um, whereas if they've got like one section of their house, they were like, okay, I'm going to display art here. And they, they buy the print and then boom, it's there. Um, but you can introduce your art in so many other ways. Um, but it's, I would say that the, it's hard to look at the numbers because um, the profit from uh, the mugs and the the shirts and everything it's it's skewed. I just see the the total revenue coming in, um, and I have those numbers to go off of. But my percentage of profit from those items is it's much smaller than the other items, um, even though those are higher ticket items. Um, but uh, I would say. The hoodies are probably the one of the bigger things in my shop. Um, um, actually, I, 
I did some prep. I took notes for this. I knew you were going to ask me this stuff, and I actually ran all the numbers, and I forgot I did. Um, Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, top selling items. Let's go. Um, and I even have a percentage of total. Wow, look at that. So prepared. Um, so I, the, I've got a, a print pack. I've noticed that print packs are very popular. Packaging things together so that people think they're getting a better deal. Um, amazing that I would say I've got two different print packs on my, on my website. I've got one, like a triptych of, of some berries, um, different like blueberries, blackberries, and strawberries, which is some of my earlier works. And then I have another one of like these moon phases. Um, and those two, I would say, as far as prints are concerned, are some of my best sellers. Um, and it's like, I'm tricking people into buying three prints instead of one. And it's like, <laughs> uh, it's, it's not really a trick, but you know, it's, it's amazing that, that packaging it up so that people just buy more of it. They're more likely to buy more if you put it presented in that way. Yeah, um, um, with the, uh, um, with the conventional sir, convention circuit, my understanding is that it's very common for people to have like one for 60 or two for 40 or three for, mm, um, yes, yes, absolutely. Or so absolutely. That's the same thing. It just happens to be on your online site and it still works. So that's good. To yeah. Know. Yeah. 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 No, but those would, as far as prints are concerned, those are, um, the highest, I would say, I mean, the percentages, since I have so many different items, like that berry print pack makes up like 6% of my total, which is the highest, but also so does my my growth design of my hoodie. That's pretty tied. I mean, it's, there's a little bit more towards the prints, but um, yeah, those are pretty tied, I would say. And it's that one specific design of the hoodie is, is gosh, it is my, my bestseller. Um, and then I've got some other night sky um, prints, which this is kind of a funny tangent. But I painted that night sky painting in 2016 in a like one of my beginning watercolor courses. And it is still to this day my best seller. And I make the most money from that design. <laughs> um, and it drives me insane that I've done all of this growth as an artist and I've put so much more work out there. And that's one design is still month to month my bread and butter. You and Blake have a lot in common. You can talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, even I can commiserate a little bit because I, I, I don't make as much from like print sales and stuff like that. Um, but there's one piece that's from it, it's it's much older, but it's definitely one of my most popular. And I I I can't I can't replicate like whatever magic was happening at that moment. I can't replicate yes. it. Like I can't go back and like redo that piece for like whatever reason, like my style has moved on my proclivities, preferences, the types of marks, my process so much has changed and it makes me sad. Like you said, on the one yeah. hand, it, it's like, it's kind of irritating. Cause it's like, well, damn it. Like there's all this other cool stuff too. And right. yeah, sure. And people like that as an artist and right. people still choose the, the first time the magic struck. Right. Um, and, but, and there's also some sadness to that because it's like, oh, well, I mean, I guess I wish I could keep doing that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I'm torn because it's like, I've definitely decided to kind of go back and try to recreate it. Um, and it's been successful, but I don't think I've been as successful as my first attempt. And I think that's one of the things about watercolor is I did, there were some wonderful watercolor blooms that just the paint decided to be on my side that time. And watercolor is very finicky and you really have to trust 
the medium and let it kind of do half the work. And sometimes you don't like the work it did. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that design, I've been able to put it on a hoodie. I've created that print as like a holographic print and a G clay print. Um, and all of those individual items are within like my top thick selling items. So if you take that one design astronomically more than anything else I've, I've sold. Uh, so Liad in the chat wants to know, like, how do you feel about um, selling your originals? We haven't touched on that so much. Uh, we've been talking about like prints and stuff like that, but sure. about, like, the actual originals. I know some people that don't like to actually sell their originals and they just keep hoarding them around. But uh, is that an issue for you? Um, I There are certain pieces I might develop an attachment to, but I have learned that the more work I make, the less attached I become to each piece. I like to kind of describe it like a horror crux, you know, like you put a little piece of your soul in each piece, but you know, the, the more pieces you create and the more pieces of your soul that go out there. I mean, if you've only made five pieces, that's like a fifth of you. Um, whereas if you've made 500, you're like, ah, oh, what's one that you've sold? You know, it doesn't make a dent. Um, so I, I would say if you're, if you want to start selling your work, but you're struggling to, you're like, you want to start selling your original pieces and you're struggling with that, just, just make more. <laughs> I, I think the solution to anything is always make more art. Um, <laughs> at least that's what I kind of live by. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do sell my originals. They're on my website. I don't sell them as frequently as I would like, but that's because I think they're priced fairly. And, you know, it's hard to find the right buyer for an original piece. And it's important to not uh, change the price consistently hoping that lowering it is going to make it sell more because the person that likes that art will want it for what it's truly valued at it's just hard to find the right person yeah the it's originals like, yeah. are the one thing that I, I mean in general don't lower your prices but yeah for originals absolutely don't don't do that and I've, I've definitely, I know this from experience because I've constantly gone in and changed my prices back and forth and back and forth. I've always questioned it, but yeah, it's, it is so important. And I actually, the very first original I ever sold, I, I learned this lesson the hard way. The school of hard knocks taught me. Um, I was, I was still in art school. I painted this canvas of my, my it was like a still life of my studio space. Um, and I intended it to be kind of a memorial piece of my time at, in the studio at, at Central Washington University. And one of my peers, he was, he was a, an older gentleman who was auditing the class, but he was, he was part of my class and he really enjoyed the piece and he wanted it for the same reason that I had created it. And I was willing to let it go to someone who, who knew the, maybe not the value of it, but had the same memories attached. Um, and, and I told them that I wanted to sell it for $500, which I thought was fair. It was about an 18 by 24 oil painting, and it was really highly detailed. And it was the first piece I ever sold, but I mean, I, I felt pretty confident in that price. Um, and he immediately was like, oh, well, that's, that's way too much. I could go for 300 And he just cut it almost in half. And I, I stood my ground and I said no. And then my professor stepped in and told me that I'm a beginner and I should reevaluate it. I think she wanted me to, to make the sale. But it is the one and only time she ever steered me wrong. But I agreed and I sold it for $300. And I was on the cloud nine for like two days. Um, because I sold my first piece and it was for hundreds of dollars. And as a beginning artist, that's absolutely thrilling. 
Um, but then literally like the next month or two later, um, I had a piece that was physically slightly smaller. I think it was like a 20 by 20 inch uh, oil painting. Um, and it was accepted into a juried show and the, and it was hosted by the, um, provost of the school. And she took a liking to my piece and I had priced it at $600 because I did not want to sell it. I was very attached to it and I jacked up the price because I didn't want to sell it. But I thought, you know, I think 600, I, I would be okay parting with it. And she said that having it hang in, in her office, she just fell in love with it and she had to buy it from me. And so two months later, I, I sold a smaller piece for 600 and it really showed that, you know, for the person who really does like the original and values it, um, they, they're willing to pay. Um, and so you should not ever let anyone uh, talk you down. It is one of the biggest regrets of my artistic career is allowing, um, allowing that man to, to lowball me and, and only, <laughs> only pay 300 for a piece that was worth more. Yeah, the appropriate response to somebody trying to cut your price in half is to immediately double it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Now it's a thousand. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was selling it to someone who didn't value it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how do you get people to go look at it, to go see your shop? That's one thing that a lot of people find tricky is, it is just getting, tricky. Getting, getting people to go there. And then stay long enough to buy something. Do you have any sort of magic pixie dust for us? Um, well, actually, one of the things I haven't touched on yet, but one of the big deciding um, factors in me creating an e-commerce e shop on my website as opposed to my Etsy is Facebook and Instagram added a feature where you can have a shop on Instagram and it connects to your existing shop on your own domain. So you can't link to an Etsy, but you can link to your own shop on your own website. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. I thought the the Instagram thing was like Instagram uh, proprietary or whatever. Well, so you can choose two different options. You can choose to allow people to check out through Instagram and they never leave the app, or you can create the listing and not make that an option. So if they press the purchase button, it immediately just takes you straight to the listing on your website and they check out on your website. Does it go through the whole process of shopping cart checkout or do they then have to add it to the shopping cart and then go to the checkout? They, um, so on Instagram, if you're looking, you see, you can tag your products in your posts. And so when people see that post, they go, oh, view products. And then they click and see, oh, this night sky print is really pretty. I want to look into it. And they click that link and it immediately takes them to the listing. So they don't spend very much time on the Instagram app before they're taken to the listing to do the shopping on my site. Oh, okay. So I, they, okay. I guess I was having this uh, delirious, wishful thinking that... <laughs> Instagram would also initiate the sale. So then by the time they got to your website, all they would have to do would be like checking out. But that's actually probably I, not possible. No, I don't think it. that's how that would work. And I don't <laughs> think that that would actually be beneficial for sales because I think having them yeah. have one item direct them to your website, then they see all of the items that are available. Whereas I don't think that Instagram does as good a job at showing like the entirety of your inventory. Um, or directing people into the right direction of what would be a good recommended item, whereas like my website does a better job of that. And I'm able and, to do featured items and stuff like that. 
And you're saying that, that you can actually tag the image itself or like have a tag? Yeah, in the post? any like your Instagram reel or any of your posts, um, just like you can tag people, you can tag products. And it shows the price of the product and you can just tap on it and it, it yeah, it pops up right there. Wow. Instagram is like letting people leave the platform. This is shocking yes. to me. Yes. Yeah. No. And it directs people straight onto my website. So that was the biggest thing that I was like, okay, I need to create my own website. Etsy's not cutting it anymore. Etsy's great for discoverability, but they do have all of these pesky fees, um, which you can kind of avoid with your own website and you can create more of... Um, you can brand yourself. We have more freedom for branding on your own website, whereas Etsy doesn't give you that much freedom. Is this a shop feature just for people with business accounts on Instagram or? Probably. Probably. Um, and do you have to have a certain follower count or? No, I, I don't think remember there being any kind of cap to, to switch to a business account. I think you can start start with a business account or switch back and forth, whatever suits well, you I just. I meant to have like the, the taggable posts and stuff like that, but no, I, um, I think there is a certain point where um, you need a certain number of followers in order to be able to add uh, links to your stories. But I think so far, that's the only thing that I'm aware of that I personally am not able to do. <laughs> yeah. I think that's like the 10,000. Uh, yeah. I think you need a really, limit where really you need the, huge, where you get the yeah, swipe, you can swipe up. up. Yeah. Yeah, which is confusing to me. Um, Does the uh, price change on uh, Instagram when it does change on your website? No, it does not. So you would need to manually change that. Um, But I don't. (laughs) I figured that it's important to have the pricing um, uh, accurate where people actually check out. Um, I don't think that it matters so much to have it on the Instagram uh, at, or on Instagram because it's they see the picture and I don't think that they look too much on the price. I could be wrong, but I've also um, uh, only added the smallest size of all of my prints to my shop on Instagram because I don't think people need to see the range that it goes all the way up like from $12 to $55 for the print range because they're going to choose the size and price that suits their budget and their needs. Um, so that I don't think is as important if they're interested in the artwork themselves, like that'll get, take them to the listing. Do you have a sense of, uh, what call to action, I guess is the word, uh, gets people to your web store more than others or like the most, like, is it Instagram or is it Twitch or, you know, like, like what, um, prompt that you use gets the most conversion yes so actually within the last four months i've finally figured out i don't want to call it the secret but i've seen a lot of other artists um do like organized shop updates and in the past i'd always whenever i had a new product i would add the single listing and then announce it or i'd add like two two listings and announce that um but now i've started i decided to just give it a try again that's throwing stuff at the wall whatever sticks um is great um and i decided to just try to do them monthly and try to just pack as much as i possibly could into a single update and having the variety of new items is really what drives traffic um i notice a huge influx of sales within like the first week of a shop update and then it dwindles down and then as soon as i release more things that's like more than 
there's a substantial thing like they could fill their cart just with the new products. Um, that's that's the, con- the the big conversion is is having like a big event or a big update or um, a lot of new things. So is it always new content or do you ever bring back old content where you're like, oh, it's been three months since this was part of a shop update? I can sort of like bring it back as like part of like a new thing, a, a new set of products. I always, I guess as far as content creation is concerned, I try to to bring my older products um, and display them in my content so people know that they still exist and they can still purchase them. Um but yeah, there are some items where I'll, I'll decide like, oh, you know what, actually, maybe I'm going to turn this piece into a sticker. And now all of a sudden, this is a new product, even though I only had prints before. Um, but I think the, having new stuff is really, I think that's the secret, which sucks because you want to be pushing the stuff that's already there. But um, I think it's important to realize that a lot of your sales come from a, a small group of very loyal followers and customers and when you add new things it's new things for those people to purchase and you want to keep those people interested and those people um that's that's really the only people you should be creating your content for and you want to please those people yeah you don't want to lose them uh yeah that's something that you hear uh crop up a lot is it's it's it you don't have to sell to the world you just have to keep selling mm-hmm. to the people that really really like your stuff and who like you and who you yes. like everybody likes yeah. everybody that's the that's the key so you have to come up with like a new set of content every month that's uh, that also keeps you on your toes yeah yes and i'm i've only done three organized shop updates so far but just with that information i am it is so clear that that makes a world of difference um i finally feel like i'm actually like on my feet now with um with my with my art career now that i've started organizing them there's also a lot of fun things that you do for people that are buying your stuff it it, and it's infectious i can fully admit uh, to having succumbed to that uh or i was like <laughs> shit i want to buy something from her just because of all of this like cool stuff that i'm going to get yeah, besides I- the actual thing that i'm buying um i i i won't list them all at the moment um i it will be worthwhile to in, in a second but first I, i'm wondering if you have a sense of um you know how the numbers shake out in terms of um how much you invest in the the sort of like little like freebie items that you'll include with an order as well as like the time that it takes to you know make the packaging the extra packaging time uh versus the return on the investment of that time and extra money i am far less interested in the money side of things and far more interested in uh, creating an experience for my customers. And I think that that's, I mean, there's, you can create art and having your art in someone's home is, is delightful and a wonderful way to kind of interact with your, um, with your audience and your customers. But I think thinking about like what your goal is with selling your work, are you just trying to make a profit? Then you should probably go with um, the most affordable packaging you have there, bare bones. Um, if you if that's that's your priority. Um, but for me, I was kind of reevaluating it, and I was 
I think it's important that people have a sense of my brand um, when they open my packages. I want my packages to delight them. I want there to be some sort of surprise. Um, I think having knowing that there is that kind of extra incentive or you know you're going to get some kind of freebie sticker or a free print with your order. Um, it's just an opportunity for me to to just share my work and and delight the people that have delighted me by by spending their money on my art. Um, so I definitely ensure that I am profiting, but I, with this recent promotion that I've been doing, um, I've been, uh, for any order over $10, I include a free print and those free prints are valued at $12. <laughs> um, so it's that, it was not something that I necessarily did because I thought it was profitable, but, um, I thought it was an excellent way for me to, um, take prints that don't sell and, repackage that in a way that delights my customers and I can use that as a way to thank them for buying my new stuff. That's pretty so, brilliant. How do you um, go about picking the subject matter for your paintings then? Are you thinking mm. about what do people want or are you just strictly thinking this is what I want to make? Um, I initially was worried about what other people wanted and I realized that um, what other people want is for me to fully express myself and make what I want. That's what interests them the most. Um, so it's kind of backwards a little bit, um, but <laughs> the answer is both. Um, but I, honestly, I've focused a lot less on what other people um, desire and just focusing on exploring anything and everything. And it seems like the people that are loyal, are, they stay loyal. So um, I don't seem to really have an issue with or at least I'm not noticing. I think the more exploration I'm doing, the more excited and delighted people are um, and the more interest I'm getting um, rather than trying to cater to what I thought people wanted. The interesting thing about catering to like for the masses or trying to create art that everyone loves um, is you end up making an entirely neutral piece that not it doesn't delight anyone and it doesn't offend anyone. And gosh, what is the point of art if it's neutral? <laughs> and doesn't do any of the, the wonderful things that art is known to do. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's good if you don't please everyone, because then you're delighting the people that matter more. In a uh, Mark Rosewater GDC talk, he mentioned this very similar with Magic the Gathering cards, mm. where the cards that are the most uh, effective or uh, potent in a set are those that either a lot of people um, love and a lot of people hate more so than a lot of people think is okay. Because if everything is okay, then it's just uh, water under the bridge. Nobody cares. But if it's something that they love or hate, it's you know uh, a dichotomy there, mm -hmm. then it's going to stand out to the people that love it, and it'll be theirs. Yeah, I think if you're if you're worried that someone's going to hate your work, that you shouldn't be worried because that yeah, there there's an equal and opposite force of people that that love it. But I think. Same with magic cards and and uh, something that's effective. If if it if someone hates it, someone else is going to love it purely because someone else hates it, and they want to use it against them. That um, was, oh, sorry, but that was especially true. There was yes. a, a set that came out very recently where they had alternate art, and mm. one artist in particular was, uh, I want to say, uh, really taken to uh, the the rack, you know, the torture chamber, right? Because mm. It was just, <laughs> Joby knows which one I'm talking about because he hates the card. That's fine. Um, but as a result of that blowback, tons of artists went on Twitter just to support them. And it yeah. ended up being that that card, the art for that sold like for 
tens of thousands of dollars more than it would have otherwise. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> and, and in light of what you just said about, you know, that uh, love-hate relationship, I'm tempted to think that they did that on purpose. Like, maybe they just saw that coming. They're like, oh, this is going to get roasted so hard, and it's going to be fucking fantastic. Maybe that's just the cynical side of me, but it's it's tempting who to knows believe that. i you know you would like to think that people can plan for that but sometimes it just turns into a whirlwind and you just you you go along for the ride who knows who knows if it if it was intentional brilliant brilliant on them um but regardless the fact that they played it out the way it did um <laughs> well for you it's very very apparent like how much care and consideration you put into customer satisfaction um watching one of your uh, TikTok videos that you've made were just kind of like going through uh, the the packaging process to show people. It's super fun to watch. I, and I had to write down, I had to like make a list to make sure that I would remember um, and to like share with everybody else just to illustrate like, you know, what you're putting into this. There's, there was a, this is just for like one, one package. There was a thank you card. There was the free print. There was a sticker, a 20% off coupon, a little QR code, which I wanted to ask you about, like what that was for, a little handwritten note, an embossed stamp on the envelope, and little foil envelope stickers. I was like, my head exploded. I was like, oh my God, how much time are you putting into these, uh, making these little packages? Um, you know, I think it looks like I put a lot more time. I think when I started out, it took a lot more time, but now I've got kind of, I've got this pegboard on the wall and I've got these adorable little containers with all my business cards and, and the little washi tape that I use to seal the envelopes and the stickers. And I think just uh, creating a space that kind of streamlined that process was really important for me. Otherwise I would be spending too much time. Um, but Okay, I lost my train of thought here. What was the question? <laughs> I was curious about the the time that it took you uh, yeah. to yeah. Okay, so I guess you've I got, kind of answered that. Yeah, no, bit. you've yeah. got it streamlined. Basically, is the I've yeah learned. yeah like like pretty any... much. I've got it streamlined. Yes. <laughs> um, I try. I I'll sometimes um I emboss all of my envelopes with my um, logo, and it was I actually was working at my custom frame job at Michaels, and a customer had brought in one of her prints to have framed and she had her art embossed with her logo and I was just it floored me I was so wowed by it it looked so professional and I had to ask her about it and apparently you can like buy a personalized embosser off like the stampmaker.com for like 50 bucks and that's like an pretty minimal investment for something that you can use over and over and over again and in so many different ways so i emboss my prints with my logo as like an extra uh, measure of authenticity and then i also am able to use that on the envelopes just as a branding opportunity without having to pay for like any kind of bells and whistles for my envelopes i just get plain black envelopes and then add my logo to them yeah, it's one of those things that you may not think about until you see it. Like you said, you know, you saw yeah. somebody at the at your old job doing it, and I, it, it it's a little thing like that that steps it up so much. I mean, yeah. it, 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 like it goes from a boring envelope that you're putting your art into right up to like 
I, I got this from Christie's. Uh, this, I won this at an auction, uh, you know, in the, like this high end gallery yeah. or whatever. You're like, this is super fucking professional. It definitely. It adds the sense of like that your brand, like that you are somebody, whether you are or aren't. If you act like you are and you create a brand and a presence as if you are somebody, people will perceive you as such. And I still feel like. It's almost like that fake it till you make it kind of thing. Um, but I, I still feel like I've got a lot of presentation that I am somebody when I, I still feel like I'm I'm trying to fill up the shoes that I've um, <laughs> created for myself here. But um, yeah, I think it certainly adds to, to just the whole sense of business presence online. Well, I love what you said, too, about like how you don't really track the numbers or the time spent on those little peripherals. Um, it, it ruined a bunch of other questions that I did have, but I'm that's so okay. sorry, but I, it's, um, I think it's far more important for me to just be in the present and find it as a wonderful opportunity to interact with my customers. Um, that's the most fulfilling part of the work for me. And I wanted to really milk it for all I could because packaging the order, like whenever I got an order on Etsy, like when I first started out, like I was getting maybe like one or two orders every one or two months. And like, that's nothing, <laughs> especially if it's only like a $12 print, you know, it's like, that's to make like $12 like a month. And that's not the profit. That's like absurd. Um, but I would still, as soon as I got the notification, I got an order, I'd rush to my computer and I just, I was so excited about it. And now that I am getting more orders, that excitement doesn't it, it's still there. I'm still just as excited to package every order. I just get to streamline it a little bit and maybe package three at once instead, which is such such an amazing, amazing privilege. And you also mentioned too that you are at least trying to uh, be sure that you are profitable to some degree. It's not like you're just absolutely frittering away the money. It's just like you're not trying to nickel and dime it, which is that's that's what I love. Right. Um, yeah. So. One of my last questions on, on that before we move on to a, a, a new subject would be, you, you know, you mentioned you, you quit your job and now you're about like nine months into like mm -hmm. really making the full go of it. Um, do you have an idea now that you're doing your taxes for it? Do you have an idea of, you know, what your books are looking like? Are, are you in the green or is there still some improvements? There's always improvements to be made, but right. I mean, like, is there anything that's like really sticking for you where you're like, Oh God, I got to get this wired out or uh, ironed out. Or do you feel like, okay, I, this I'm on the right track. Um, well, I, I'm very excited to say that I am in the green. Um, uh, it definitely, it was really rough getting started and I'm really blessed to have such a supportive partner with a very stable job who is willing to put in some extra work while I was still kind of getting, getting started. Um, really, really grateful for him. He's actually the whole reason, like I painted that uh, watercolor piece for him at the very beginning as a Christmas gift for him. And he's the one that posted it on the social media to get me all, uh, just to give me that validation and encouragement. Um, and he's the one that really pushed me to say, hey, I think you should do art. Like I, I support you in that. Um, so I'm really grateful to have to have him. Um, but yeah, it's, and then there we go. I went and just this whole gratitude um, tangent for my partner here and then lost it. But <laughs> sorry, what was the question? <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, 
you you did you actually did answer the question it was relatively okay, good, the, good. The, the question was probably longer winded than it needed to be the <laughs> um, <laughs> the uh the the lingering curiosity though is do you have ideas for boosting revenue in the future right. like do you have like currently things that you think oh well maybe well, i'll try this in the future i i would definitely say um the shop updates like i'm stressing that over and over again but i i can't like my like speaking on a percentage point, like I would say that my um, income and revenue from my shop, like more than quadrupled once I started doing organized shop updates. Um, and it blew my mind. Um, uh, so giving some people more of a destination, like there's actually products to look at rather than just like one thing. Cause if they see that one thing, they're like, Oh, well I either want that one thing or I don't. But if they know that there's a variety of products, they're at least going to go to the shop and look. Um, but that being said, I think just focusing more on the smaller items like stickers, people love that. And there I've seen, I have sub customers that buy a sticker pack, not just one, but like three, I get like a quantity three for the same exact pack. And it's cause with a print people buy one and it's on the wall, but with stickers, you can put, they're so versatile and maybe people use them for journaling or slap them on their water bottle or, or give them as gifts or add them as like a fun little Maybe they have a pen pal and they want to throw in some stickers or share it's it's a or maybe it's a stocking stuffer. There's just like the options are endless for little things like that. And if a pack is like only like ten dollars or something, people don't really think twice about it um, because it's more of an impulse buy. And I think that's that's definitely where where most of um, my my sales come from are the, the smaller ticket items. So I am curious with stickers because uh, I come from a tech background and people cover their, their laptops with mm. hex stickers. There are specific mm. dimensions of hex, hex hexagons that have uh, ah. icons or other things in the middle. But I don't okay. see a lot of artists catering to that, uh, to that audience. I think it's because artists are entirely out of touch on that demand. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea it was there. And my partner actually is in the tech industry and he does cover his computer in stickers, but they're not in the hex shape. He just goes for whatever fits. It's like a mysterious uh, Tetris of, of wacky stickers. <laughs> I wonder if it's just the uh, the programming side thing because uh, maybe with, maybe with, um, with our our programming especially that's the, my field um, mm -hmm. and every um, I don't know in a, not every package but every company that's related to uh, our programming they'll have like their own uh, studio insignia and they'll put them on hex, hex stickers and they'll give them out at conferences and then huh. just plug them into the, the um, pattern that they already have formed. So. Interesting. That's brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. But I can imagine that an artist would, if they could make up their own series of hex stickers, then they could sell a package of different hex stickers and then people would just yeah. do adding it on. Yeah, that, that's, that's an interesting concept for sure. Huh. I don't want to pop that bubble because I'm fully in favor of this idea, but I also wonder if there's like a different aesthetic there, you know, like the okay. sort of like the tech heads that want the like geometric designs to their stickers are probably thinking also along the same like engineering lines with what the actual graphic is going to look like and it is graphic design in there rather than paintings but i'm sure right. that you could come up with you know some watercolor splotch that then has an insignia in the middle of it and oh, have it, yeah that'd be cool yeah yeah hybridization is what we call yeah. that in, in the industry moose um so our uh our next big subject that we wanted to talk to you about we've already touched on a little bit you know in the ways that you kind of utilize social media for a lot of this um and 
you use a lot. It's impressive, uh, you know, like <laughs> sort of like how many things you're doing on social media. Um, uh, how do you find the time to make art? <laughs> like, I, I actually a, a less snarky version of that question would be like, how do you <laughs> how do you balance the two? Do you have a schedule where like, okay, this is going to be my art making time, and then I have this time set aside and allotted for social media stuff. Yeah. So I think going back to my, the whole reason I started streaming on Twitch was so I could kind of set that schedule. So I have a dedicated time. I've made a commitment to my viewers. I will be live making art every Sunday, Monday, and Wednesday at 2 PM till like five or 6 PM Pacific time. And that's, that's when I'm making my art. And I thought when I first started that I would also make personal projects and other things in my free time. And that is not true. Almost 100% of my time in the studio creating art is live on Twitch. Um, and I did not anticipate that, but it really goes to show that uh, having that commitment is everything because without that commitment, I don't make it. Um, I, I don't make art um, and I'm, I spend that time elsewhere. Um, so it's really important that I have that set schedule for and I have that time carved out for creating. Um, it also kind of adds this momentum going forward. Like if I finish a piece, I think normally if I wasn't a Twitch streamer, I would uh, kind of bask in the, oh, pat myself on the back. Good, you finished a piece. Maybe I'll start, I'll start brainstorming the next one next week or something. But if I finish a piece on Sunday stream the next day and I have to have something to do. So I'm immediately pushing myself onto the next idea. I always have like some random thumbnails or different ideas. I keep a to-do list of like a bunch. It's not really a to-do list, but just a list of, of ideas that I, I could pull from at any moment. Um, and yeah, it's definitely a lot of momentum. But as far as the social media creation, um, I'm still trying to find a healthy balance of it because there's it's tricky to know, especially with TikTok specifically, uh, it sucks you in as a consumer far more than it encourages you to be a creator. Mm. Um, um, just the natural, have, like, the way the app's created. And, and they do, a lot of people say that they'll, they'll give every, every creator their like moment of fame. They'll make you go viral just to get you hooked on creating. Um, and I don't, true that is because i haven't seen every single creator have a viral video but it does seem that um that i i think there is some truth in that for certain people who have had viral videos because i it certainly worked for me i i struck gold on one video and i was like oh cool i gotta keep up this momentum everybody says you're supposed to be posting multiple times a day so for a whole month i kept it up and i posted daily um, while I had all that kind of energy and momentum of, of people coming to my page. And I kid you not within like the span of, I want to say like two months, I went from like 200 followers to like, I want to say seven or 8,000, um, just from that kind of burst, but that was not sustainable. And I don't think it was good for my mental health. I suffered so much burnout afterwards. And I realized that it is just frankly not worth it um uh it's it's glamorous to gain all the followers but then the algorithm changed and all of a sudden my content wasn't interesting anymore and it i had the followers but i didn't have the views and i realized that you know it's people want to gain the followers and it's a it's a noble goal but why I think it's important to ask yourself, why do you want the followers? Why, why do you need 
that kind of validation? Like, what is your goal with it? Do you want just more eyes on your work? Do you have to achieve that on this one particular app? Or what are other avenues that you can get people to see it? Or like, what kind of validation do you need from from your audience? Like, I don't think that a follower count is the best way to, uh, I don't think that's a good goal to have a certain follower count because it's entirely out of your control. And um, bigger number does not equal better person. I am the same person I was at 200 followers as I am at 9,000. I'm making the same content. Maybe I've got a little bit, I've made a little more, so I have a little more experience, but it has no reflection on the number of followers I have. And the weird part is when someone comes up to you and they see that your follower count is like 10 times as big as them and they think that you're famous. It's like... It's bizarre. (laughs) I'm a drop in the bucket of creators. (laughs) I barely cracked a thousand followers on on Twitter. And because of that one post that had a few million views to it, um, Mm -hmm. I've had people say, well, it's like I'm talking to a celebrity. I'm like, me? (laughs) Really? Yeah, right? It's, It's bizarre. And like, it's... Yeah, you go from like, you look at my, my TikTok and I've got over 9,000, but you look at my Twitter, I've got like 100 followers. I'm the same person. I'm posting the same content. It, like, it doesn't matter. As long as you have someone to listen and someone who cares, it's worth posting. And I, I think that it's important to manage your expectations and realize uh, it's important to know why you're doing what you're doing and what the goal is. And if the goal is to just gain followers, um, come up with a new goal because you can't control that. And I don't think that that's really what you want. I think that's what you think you want. Well, the TikTok algorithm changing might change the context of a lot of questions that I had in mind regarding your presence there, uh, which is, which (laughs) is fine, which is fine. That, that might um, be a valuable conversation in itself. Uh, Because I was wondering, you know, if, if you, had received a tangible return on that time investment like did you see an increase in sales or you know engagement elsewhere i did i did i did notice that there were actually i only did one TikTok live <laughs> um but and i haven't done again another one and it's not because i had a bad experience or anything i just haven't found the time um but I did a TikTok live and there was was someone who chatted with me for a little bit. And I did that live like 30 minutes before I went live on Twitch and they jumped from TikTok onto Twitch. And it was literally only one person, but uh, they came back for more than one stream. And that was really exciting for me. I did notice an influx in sales. I did a shop update while I was kind of currently going viral. Um, I'm not, it's not like it was one of those videos where I had like my label printer shooting out like a hundred labels or anything like that, but it was certainly more than I'd ever expected. I think I, in this like one weekend, I maybe had like 16 orders, which was just mind blowing for me. Um, cause I'm used to receiving that many and maybe like a month or two, <laughs> no, two months. Like that's how many I would receive in like two months. Um, and I received that in one weekend uh, with all of that hype. So that was really, really exciting, but it was kind of just this delightful thing that happened, but it's not something that I think you can chase. Um, and I don't think it's something that you can plan for and organize and make happen. I think it's just this, this kind of serendipitous lottery thing i think every single post you make on tiktok is kind of like a you bought a lottery ticket and you don't know what's going to happen um and it's can be frustrating but i think it's 
it's important to have a good a good state of mind and develop a healthy relationship with it. Realize that you know you're a well-rounded person and that who you are on social media and and all of that is it's just a tiny part of who you really are. You've got meaningful relationships. You want to take care of your mental health. You want to make good art. You want to, um, I don't know, there's so many other facets of your lives that it's, it's important to keep balance. And I think it's better for your art um, and just for you to, to focus on that, I think, first and foremost. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Twitch seems like it's most conducive to um that healthy relationship because it's an immediate uh response that you get you know it's not the thing where you're like oh i have to keep putting out content and then hope it gets seen it's just like okay i'm doing this now and then it's either gonna get seen or it's not you know and that's okay and it's something that you would kind of be doing anyway you don't have to do it for the express purpose of it being seen if that makes sense you know precisely yeah yeah and And you've attributed a lot of uh, credit to Twitch for kind of like getting you motivated, keeping you motivated, you know, built, finding that, that community. And uh, this is something that gets echoed a lot. And, uh, you know, obviously we're, we're all about it ourselves. (laughs) Yeah. Um, How did, how did you find your way onto Twitch? Like, what was it that, uh, how did it crop up on your radar? Uh, my, my boyfriend, he was like, Hey, like he watches Twitch mostly for the gaming content and stuff, but he's like, you know, there's an art community there too. Right. And I was kind of skeptical. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I was like, I don't know, but he just kind of, I don't want to say he was like really persistent about it, but he definitely kept keeping the idea fresh in my mind. He wouldn't let it just sit on the back burner and, and go to waste um so he he was really really supportive and encouraging on that um kind of helped me get my uh my initial setup all put together he's a he's really savvy with computers and i have a lot of um anxiety when it comes to tech problems i have a very short uh a short leash for it if something goes wrong i immediately like freak out um so i'm really really happy that that he's able to um to help me with some of the tech problems um whether or not he's actually knowledgeable on it he has uh, much more capacity for um uh, he's more patient for for learning and solving the problem and sticking it through to the end than I do. Um, it's interesting that you're more concerned with the tech issues than the potential troll issues that are like most known for the gaming side of Twitch. Right, right. Well, I think uh, I started watching the art community and discovering new artists. And at first, like until you kind like Twitch understands what your viewing habits are, I like only could find digital artists, which was great. And like, but I, I wanted traditional artists. I'm a traditional artist. I wanted to see how they stream. Like, what, are those, what does their setup look like? How do they, how do they manage? Like, I, it was pretty obvious to me that you would do like a screen capture to, uh, to share digital art. But like, how on earth do you manage a computer and your paint palette? Um, on the same table and all of that kind of stuff. God forbid you spill your water on your keyboard, you know, like, oh man, I wish I wasn't speaking from experience on that, but um, (laughs) I wish I could say it didn't happen more than once, but you know, we learn. (laughs) Logitech does have a waterproof rinsable keyboard, by the way. Noted, noted. Traditional artists. (laughs) Um, um, But yeah, yeah, it was... 
I was able to kind of dip my toes into some other, I think Kirk Shannon was one of the first traditional artists that I discovered. And um, he's got an awesome community and makes some really wonderful art. Um, but then once, once I kind of cracked open the traditional artists category, I was able to discover so many amazing artists um, and, and kind of develop connections that way. Quick shout out to uh, Kirk Shannon. He and Pinky were the uh, first two guests on the- Oh, Revolution. really? That's amazing. Pink, Pink Eye Poxy is amazing too. <laughs> But yeah, definitely shout outs to both of them. Um, yeah, a lot of streams of yours that I've uh, lurked on or watched VODs, um, it's just you kind of hanging out. <laughs> just It is, it is. It's yeah, kind of which, become that. <laughs> which is great. I and mean, that's like uh, an under, I want to say underestimated, but uh, undervalued aspect of it, you know, where that there is like an actual like community that you're developing you know, and you get the sense that you're actually hanging out with friends, you know, not just uh, nameless viewers or whatever, you know. Um, and and in that, you know, in making friends and in making a community, um, there can tend to be this resistance. I've heard this from other streamers, you know, there's sort of like this resistance and hesitancy when it comes to trying to market to those people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um do you ever struggle with that you know where there's like a sort of like a uh there's the, in the Ben diagram of twitch community and then online sales there's a little bit of overlap there does that overlap there's ever get you a lot of overlap actually mm-hmm. i would say a maj- mm. yeah i would say a majority of my sales actually come from from my twitch community um uh, so which is you, kind of crazy <laughs> um but so i so how do you I balance do... that relationship right um uh well i have to say one of my mods um consistently prompts me to uh talk about my my shop update or whatever when i normally wouldn't do it or it seems really forced um she'll she'll um just kind of passive aggressively do the command in the chat or um ask me really conniving questions to try to get me to talk about it um and it really goes to show that a lot of my community members they they want me to be successful and even if they're not purchasing the art i don't think they feel like i'm upset by that i always stress that like if i do try to direct people to my website or whatever like it's not that i'm looking for them to purchase my art if they want to support me that's a great way to do so but art is meant to be seen so if you just go there and you look at it i will be ecstatic because i've put a lot of time and energy into it and that's really at the end of the day what i want is people to see my art um, so I think setting the expectation of, of no expectation, like just, Hey, if you look at it, that would make my day, um, is, is I think a good step, but, um, yeah, I've, I've also kind of created, um, in my discord community, I have a sub only channel. So only my, my Twitch subscribers can chat in there. And that whenever I add an original piece to my shop, um, I give them at least 24 hours notice to kind of call dibs because they seem to be the most interested in purchasing my original art or at least the people that have like a reoccurring subscription. They want to, they're, they're loyal um, followers and supporters. And um, it's, it's a tiny way that I can kind of give back by allowing them priority, but I am also marketing myself and selling to them and they're excited to see the stuff, uh, the stuff I put out. I think it's just important to realize that the what you are trying to market has value and that you're not trying to push something that people don't want they're here because they want it um and you shouldn't feel bad about offering it 
It's what they're here for. That's a great outlook. Uh, And it it really speaks to one of the big efforts that we try and make is to kind of clean the taint off of the word marketing because it does seem Mm. to come preloaded with so much negative connotation and it doesn't have to be that. And so, yeah, it's it's a, a great thing to to bring up whenever we can and to hear people talk about how that relationship works, you know, where it's not like you're just trying to sell products to your friends. It's that your friends are trying to support you and help you be successful. And there's definitely a a huge, huge difference to that. Um, When, when are you going to hire an assistant? (laughs) I laughed so much when I saw that you had that written at the bottom of your notes. I, it cracks me up because my mom has always told me from a very young age that I would be great at anything I put my mind to so long as I had a good assistant. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, it's certainly, I would love to have someone else help me manage all of this, but I think learning how to become my own assistant has been one of the hats that I've had to wear. um, And it's actually become some of my most enjoyable work. Um, is the the few days in my schedule where I I do admin work and I I plan out how I'm going to orchestrate a shop update or manage social media or um, whatever have you. Um, I've kind of, I have a planner that I I use religiously um, um, to do goal, like quarterly goal planning. And I think it's really, really important to set goals and break it down into bite-sized pieces. and I love that being my own boss kind of allows me to blend different aspects of my life together in my goal planning. So I can set a goal to be, you know, a better listener to my friends and family, and then also have a goal to do uh, an organized shop update once a month and also set a goal to maybe meditate or do yoga more frequently. Like these are all goals I have that all exist in the same place. And I'm able to kind of maintain a healthy balance in my life while also um, keeping my eye on the prize, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Um, It's going to be exciting. If you were into it, it would be a lot of fun to have you back in uh, another three to six months to see how a lot of this has sort of evolved you know you've mentioned a couple of times that you're still figuring some of this out you're kind of like new into this process but it I, and i think it really speaks to you know how much work you've put into it to mm-hmm. you know see like how far it's come already in just the relatively you know short amount of time that you've been investing into this so yeah if you were down for that uh i think that would be a great thing to do there's the your, the thing that you just mentioned about setting goals that's a I, that would be a great conversation in, in itself because talk about planning and goal setting uh, for hours. We could absolutely do an entire podcast on that, and I would be elated. Okay, there you go. It's That's, a deal. Planning and goal setting is is a passion of mine. I have tried every productivity app under the sun and multitudes of planners, and I trying to find the perfect fit. Um, I could talk about the pros and cons of everything <laughs> and the importance of uh, not uh, not have, it doesn't matter if you have the right app or the perfect list, 
Um, I've spent so much time building lists and not doing the things on the list. Um, so trying to find what works best to actually produce an outcome is also really crucial. I would love to have that conversation for myself as much as anybody yes. else. Cause I am that person where I'm just like, what is the perfect app? And then also like spending a, a way more time than I should thinking about the list that I'm going to write before I actually make the list and then yes. like making lists for lists. <laughs> oh, you're preaching to the choir here. Again. I'm like, I'm still, I'm still figuring it out, but I think I've finally kind of found the sweet spot in the last like two weeks, believe it or not. I tried something new and it. I think for the first time it's the right fit for, I have, and I, I, I've tried so many different apps and, and planners and things. And I always have this, this excitement at the very beginning and there's a lot of hope, but I think, this is different because it's not that I'm hopeful. It's I'm actually seeing a result. Okay, well, say more about that for a minute. What is that? Sure, sure. Um, well, there is a YouTuber um, who posts a lot of like really mindful content. Um, I, I really like it. Um, her name is Lavendare, but she has an artist of life workbook. Um, and it's all about setting goals in all the different areas of your life. And she's got a whole section for quarterly planning. But I think... The secret is I wasn't looking for a planner. I was looking for like a goal setting workbook or mm. something to help organize my goal planning um, because managing a to-do list is great, but I like to have that automated on a computer if I have reoccurring tasks or and I want it to sync with my calendar or whatever. But goal planning is much more personal and self-reflective. And I don't think any app has ever been quite hands-on enough for me um and yeah it's it's just it's it's incredible and she's we set goal like what money personal growth career health relationship home goals for your environment creative goals spiritual goals what whatever have you i mean it's all there and i you don't have to use everything use like take what suits you and then toss the rest um but that she walks you through like designing healthy habits um, and then to the quarterly planning. There's a self-reflection wheel where you can uh, kind of rate each area of your life on a scale of a one to ten. And you get a nice visual of actually how well balanced your life really is. And it was incredibly eye opening to me to do that and see that, oh, well, my life purpose and my career and financial and creativity I, those scores are pretty high up there. I'm feeling pretty satisfied about that in my life right now. But like maybe my physical well-being or mental well-being, my relationships and social life, that's that's the area I need to work. And that's what I was sacrificing for my career. And I realized that, you know, I'm there. I can't max. It's already maxed. I'm already fulfilled and satisfied. I mean, I could be more fulfilled and more satisfied. But what's that actually going to do for me? Um yeah, the, the time spent on those types of like self-reflection projects is is really good. I, when I'm not in it, um, it's easy for me to sort of like dismiss that as like, well, that's just like time that I'm not spending on like an actual project that I need to be working on or whatever. That's just that's distracting me from something else. But then when I do sit down, the times that I have sat down to really like get into a, something like that to like take the time to think about those things it is really beneficial like because it does give you like this great perspective I, I kind of like an overview sort of thing which can be so helpful yeah um so coming into a wrap-up i think um 
Moose, did you have any follow-up questions so far? Uh, real quick, we, I know we mentioned a lot of different uh, uh, platforms, but the one we mm-hmm. mentioned, I think, was Patreon. So I'm curious what your thoughts on are with uh, doing that as opposed to, or in addition to, uh, Twitch subs. Um, I think that Patreon is a wonderful platform for a lot of artists, but I don't think it's the right fit for me. Um, I... I think the whole idea of it, like creating this like exclusive content for for people that pay is it's great for people that that want that kind of content but I am already spread so thin um that creating exclusive content for a smaller audience that's paying um just didn't seem I I can't I I feel like my time is better spent just putting all of that content out on as many platforms as possible and i that's not to say it's the only way it's just i think it's the best fit for me personally well a couple final questions for you um where would you like people to go to find out more about you and your work it's a great question. Well, website usually covers all the bases there, trishahall.com. Um, or if you just type in trishahall.com slash links, you will get a whole link tree of everything um, that's actually on my website. So I would direct you to trishahall.com slash links, um, because then wherever social media platforms you use, you'll find the button to click. You can um, join my mailing list where I'll give people like updates of what I've been doing. Um, uh, whenever there's like sales in my shops or new blog posts, stuff like that. Um, that's kind of the, to get the reader's digest of what I've been doing in my life for the past month. That's, that's the place to go is to jump onto my mailing list. Um, but yeah, that's, I'll just, I'll leave it at that because everyone uses different social media platforms. So you'll find it all there. And there will be links for that in the show notes, uh, as well as like a bunch of other stuff. You've mentioned so many useful <laughs> gadgets and gizmos. Uh, I've taken a bunch of notes and I'll have to follow up with you on some yeah, clarifications I would love to clarify on that. Later, yeah. yeah, and we'll have links for a lot of that stuff that we've talked about. Um, our trademark final question, aside from work and personal projects, what is one thing that you're really excited about right now? Um, I would have to say we are at a very exciting time um, nearing the end of the pandemic. It's clearly not over. The end is not not totally in sight, but I am now fully vaccinated and I was able to meet up with some of my friends who are all vaccinated now and uh, just starting to get a glimpse of some kind of normalcy is I am stoked. Um, I've really been kind of starving myself socially, um, cause I, I really thrive on person to person, like in-person contact. So, um, I'm, I'm just really excited to kind of get a little more balance in my life socially. And hopefully, hopefully dancing venues will open up because that is something I haven't even talked about, but I don't. I almost minored in dance when I was in school and I do like swing and blues dance in ballroom and I just love social dancing and to not have that I've lost like most of my social life. I was going to ask if that's what you're using your TikTok videos. No, no, not at all. It's I, I do partner dance. I don't do solo dance. So when it comes to like dancing on my own, I'm like, I have two left feet, I feel like, but if I have a partner to lead or if someone to follow it's this kind of push and pull of interaction with someone else it's just it's magic to me well here's to more of that 
Yeah. Uh, Trisha, thank you so much. This has been a, a lot of fun. Um, you're Couldn't agree more. <laughs> a, a, a wealth of information, and I do look forward to having you on again. Uh, I'm going to wave goodbye here for the sake of the recording.